but also from a bunch of strays at MacArthur Baptist Church up there in Sydney, uh, alias the Dennis the Menison, uh, Denison family. <laughs> Wasn't far wrong though, was I? <laughs> Wonderful to see Oren up here uh, helping and leading the service this morning. Sorry Pastor Frank's not able to be with us. Um, I had heard that he'd not been well and he's still not well, so we'll pray for his uh, health and his strength. But thank you for your faithful prayers for us. God has been good. We've had a, a very busy time since before the NBF and after the NBF. I think we've had five trips to Sydney in the last seven weeks. And uh, after this weekend, we'll be the next three weeks in Adelaide, uh, three different churches there. Oh no, next week's Brisbane, then three weeks in Adelaide. Anyway, <laughs> anyway out there somewhere, but uh, we would covet your prayers for us as we have opportunity to serve the Lord together. We're very thankful for the faithful prayers and uh, the gracious gifts received from Faith Baptist Church here at Faulkner. been a great blessing to us. We recently received a gift that came actually the day before my computer decided that it no longer wanted to work. It must have joined a union or something. Uh, <laughs> Every morning it takes ages to start and then has a limited time span, but that's okay. It's still still helping every now and again, helping keep me on my knees, I think, more than anything. John's Gospel in Chapter 4, if you have, your, if you have opportunity to open your Bible this morning, please. John in Chapter 4. Let's stand together, shall we, for the reading of God's Word this morning. If you would stand, please. I'm going to read the last few verses of our scripture reading this morning as we open the Word together. And here the, the scripture says to us in verse 36, and he says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one, reap, one soweth and one reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labour. Other men laboured and ye are entered into their labours. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would, would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, Surely goodness and mercy have followed us even this day to this hour to allow us to meet together in the house of the Lord, to lift up our voices in song, to rejoice in your presence with songs of praise and songs of worship, to thank and praise you from the heart and to worship you in spirit and in truth, to bring our thanksgiving for the gift of God that is ours through Christ. Yea, even the forgiveness of our sin, the imputing of thy righteousness to each and every one that trusts and receives by faith your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his finished work of the cross. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness and mercy. We're thankful, Father, for each one who's here. We pray for those who are not able to be here, some who may be struggling with health, some who may be travelling some who may have other issues that they are wrestling with at this time, knowing, Father, that regardless of where we are and what's happening in our lives, your grace is sufficient. We thank you again for the faithful servants of God in generations past, who even through their prayers we rejoice in the opportunities and the open doors here in the great land of Australia where we live, the freedom and liberty that's ours to preach Christ and to serve him. Now, Father, bless our time. Be 
pleased to meet with us now. We pray and ask in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen. Please be seated. If we were to read the whole of chapter 4 here, beginning at verse 1, we begin with a simple testimony that it's all about Christ. The testimony here is that the disciples are busy serving the Lord, baptising. John's ministry is starting to wind down in chapter 3. John the Baptist's own testimony is that he must increase, I must decrease. If you look over that uh, last few verses of chapter 3, you find that the, uh, the rabbis and the rulers and others have come to John uh, seeking to cause division, seeking to sow some discord, seeking to, to, to somehow or other bring about some confusion there for people, saying, you know, well, you, you know this other guy that you pointed out once upon a time? You know, everybody's going to him. Doesn't that bother you, John? You're not flavour of the month anymore, John? I mean, is that way heavy on your mind, John? I mean, aren't you a little bit driven? Are you a little bit ambitious? Are you a little bit, you know, maybe drooling? Uh, maybe even get a little bit of fit of anger there that, you know, uh, nobody's turning up anymore. You're still out here with your leathery lungs crying out loud and long, but the crowds are getting thinner and thinner. But he himself replied and said, He that hath the bridegroom, uh, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. He said, I'm just the voice. Remember me? I'm the one of the voice crying in the wilderness, making straight his path. He must increase. I must decrease. John made it very clear. There's not a competition here. He's simply a servant of God. And here is the son of God, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And he must increase. Then we come to chapter 4 and we find this testimony where the Lord is now receiving people. And in his name, they are now being baptized. You notice there that the scripture, Jesus himself baptized not. Uh, that would be a real struggle for some people that believe in baptismal regeneration, that Jesus, if this was such an important you know, salvation issue, that he ought to be participating, but he's not. But his disciples, these men that will spend some three plus years with him, walking with him, talking with him, listening to him, learning from him, being taught and directed by him, having their uh, mistakes confronted, having their worries aligned. I mean, you know, all these things are being dealt with as they're moving along. And yet here they are, and it would seem a very impressive performance. Imagine if you were a friend of the family and you know, let's say you know Peter and Andrew. Well, you know James and John, and you come down to the river here, and here's this great multitude of people queuing up, waiting to go out and to confess that, you know, they, they believe uh, on the salvation God has provided through the coming Christ. And, you know, and who's that? I know him. John? The Zebedee's boys? Those rat bags? You are kidding. They're fishermen. For crying out loud, man, they're fishermen. What are they doing with this prophet from Galilee? What are they doing with this Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, he, he's the almighty teacher. We're healing of all these wonderful things that he's doing. Uh, his, his signs, his wonders, his miracles, and not just the words that he speaks. I mean, this is the one who speaks with authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the one where people marvel at the gracious words that proceed out of his mouth. This is the one whom John says is the Lamb of God that takes away the sinner. How did these misfits get in here? Not only are they with him, but they're, they're ministering. They're, they're serving you know, recognition can be a really heady thing. You know, there's probably more they, they used to have button-up shirts back then because some of these guys wouldn't be able to get a T-shirt off over at night because at the end of the day, having spent day being admired by all the followers of Christ, seeing them there on the front lines can be a very swollen head occasion. I mean, they, they're noticed. It's very, very obvious for everybody. But they're not the main subject here. 
We will come back to that. I think most of the chapter here seems to lend itself to how to have an argument. It starts off with the disciples feeling very, very put out, no doubt, that we're going to go into Samaria, into the heartland of these rejected people. I think the last time we were here back in July after camp, uh, we looked at the Good Samaritan. And I made the comment that there were people standing there when Jesus started sharing the parable of the Good Samaritan. There were a lot of people standing there that the moment this dying man has a Samaritan come to minister to his needs, there were people standing there saying he'd be better off dead than let a Samaritan touch him. They are a displaced, disregarded, hated people. They are religiously opposed. They are considered to be unclean. And so here they are, this people who have been brought in captivity into the land of Israel and they've added the worship of Jehovah to the multitude of their other gods and deities that they have. And then when the Jews come out of captivity back into the land and they say, hi, how are you, brother? They're like, no, thank you, you're no brother of mine. The Jewish people that, that were so offended at them and yet Jesus deliberately went to Sychar. And we would find in the scripture that he didn't go there just for a visit. He went there for a person. I dare say that his disciples were quite concerned about this. Not on the only occasion. Remember when they heard that Lazarus was dead and the Lord said, you know, we're going to go and wake Lazarus. You know, we're going back up to Bethany. People said, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, last time we went there, they were going to kill you. I mean, that might have been four chapters ago, but I don't think the temperature's gone down any. And, you know, really bad idea. Maybe we should just let Lazarus, whatever he's got, let him sleep it off. You don't sleep off death. Doesn't work like that. But anyway, but so anyway, they, they didn't want to go. Thomas immediately says, let's go and let's die with him anyway. Come on, let's all, let's all do it. Here we have, yeah, we're going to Samaria. Oh, no. What are my folks going to say? What are my friends going to say when, when they hear I've been to Samaria? Not only have I been to Samaria, I've actually been to Sychar, which is right next to Mount Gerizim, their holy mountain of the Samaritans. How offended people are going to be. And a brother offended is harder to be one that offends city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle, the scripture says. And so here we have the Lord Jesus comes to the city of Sychar to the well outside of town. We're told here that this is Jacob's well, which he gave to his son, Joseph. Well, think about that for a moment. How many years ago was that? Was that 1,200, 1,400 years? Yeah, that's a long time. That's a long time. Have you ever heard? I mean, it's very rare for wells to last more than 100 years. There are areas around Australia, you go up around Ballarat and Bendigo, there's not just holes in the ground that were mine shafts, there were holes in the ground that were wells. And you know why? Because when people came to Australia and flooded the gold rust country, they didn't go there because it was a great place to live, they went there because it was supposed to be a great place to get rich. And Bendigo and Ballarat to this day still have trouble with the water supply because they do not have natural water flowing. We have the Yarra River. Imagine drinking out of the Yarra River. Aren't we brave? And yet we have the best tasting water in the world. Don't believe me? Go to Adelaide for a weekend. Go to Zambia. Ugh, that'll fix you for life. Anyway, people over there must have a tough gizzard. Seriously, doesn't seem to affect them. But anyway, so um, this well has lasted so long. And is still drinkable. And we're talking over a thousand years later. And Jesus comes and he sits on this well and this woman comes in the middle of the day. The cultural convention is we come to draw water at the beginning of the day and then later in the day, at the end of the day, if necessary. I mean, you don't do it just because you feel like it. I mean, we look at the size of these water pots maybe like a 10-gallon like a drum, 
and you put a couple of them on a post on each side or sit them on a little sack of grain on your head and then you walk like a little princess so you don't spill a drop because you get it all the way home and then you occasionally you have a problem you put the old clay pot down and if it slips and hits the bottom it's fine It'll, the water pressure inside will keep it intact. But the moment you go to lift it up, you don't have a water pot anymore. You've smashed the bottom out of it. Which means what? Well, as soon as all the water's gone, you've got to go back. This is hard work. But it's a very much a cultural thing because meeting at the well is an opportunity to catch up with everybody. You get to catch up. How's the family? How you been? What, uh, is, your, is your daughter getting married? And how about you? Did your daughter have a baby? And what, all, all the latest gossip. I mean, what a wonderful place. I mean, you know, how many have ever heard of what we call a furphy? I know I think they advertise at a beer these days. But furphy used to be a manufacturer of these old water carts. And a furphy was where you would meet for somebody, like when they took their water tanks over to Egypt and Beersheba and these places during the, the First World War, it was an opportunity for people to meet and talk about what was happening in the camp. It wasn't just a gossip session, it was like pass on the latest news from home. It was almost a bit like a bit of a bush telegraph. And so, yeah, the well is an important meeting place culturally, socially. This woman comes on her own. That would be considered socially unacceptable. Safety-wise, that would be a no-no. And yet this woman comes in the heat of the day, on her own, friendless, alone. And she comes to the well. And here we find Jesus is seated at the well, and he makes a simple request where he says, Woman, uh, give me to drink. She says, How is it that thou, being a Jew... Ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. We begin here with this contention, Jew, Samaritan. We are offended that you, a Jew, would ask drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria. Some say she's the fattest woman in the Bible. I don't know about that, but she is a woman of Samaria. Jesus responds and says, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. We're not Jew now, it's Sir. Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Ooh. Samaritans are not necessarily the seed of Jacob. Careful. And gave us the well. <clears throat> Didn't give the well to the Samaritans, gave it to his son Joseph. And drank thereof himself and his children. Must be good water. And his cattle. Ugh. Ugh. Well, suddenly I'm not thirsty. All that cattle slime floating around the top. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drink of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither cometh hither to draw. Take away the offence I feel, the reproach I bear every time I come here. I feel and sense the rebuke of my own people. I can feel the eyes of people watching me as I'm walking out the gate. I feel the stare of the watchman as I'm going down the hill to the well. I feel as I'm bringing the pot back up the hill through the street to my house and people as I pass by turn their back on me and shun me. Nobody greets me. No one salutes me. Nobody favours me at all. I'm an outcast among my own people. She's a woman with a problem who seems to be bent on having an argument. Let's argue about Jews and Samaritans, let's argue about the well and who owns it and who gets it and who doesn't and, and how are you going to get the water out? You don't have a rope, you don't have a bucket, you don't have... I mean, what, 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 what? You ever meet people like that lately? <laughs> like this morning? Yeah, some people, the moment you open your gob, they are prickle mania. I mean, 
I'm a big fan of pickle juice. Great stuff if you get night cramps. But seriously, some people are just born and raised. They've been infused with pickle juice all their life and they are just prickly, prickly pickle people. I mean, see, I think they might have been baptised in a pickle barrel. They're so sour all the time. Weaned on a lemon. And, and you know, and this one, you know, see, she's got issues. And this one that simply began a conversation with give me to drink seems to be probing seems to be very, very skillfully ripping off the bandage and having a poke at the scabs of her life and opening up these wounds. That, you know, there are things in our life that sometimes we don't want to confront. We don't want, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about them. Even husband and wife, there are certain things we don't want to talk about. Friends, we don't want to talk about it. And even with God as a child of God, we don't want to talk about it. But the Lord always has a way of bringing these things to light. So here we have the probing question where Jesus says, Go call thy husband and come hither. She says, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and who thou now hast is not thine husband, in that thou sayest truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art prophet wow we've graduated from jew to sir prophet so let's don't argue about race let's don't argue about the geography and the well let's argue about worship hmm. see jesus didn't really seem to take the bait over the water and the well he didn't seem to take the bait and indulge in, in the issue of, you know, what are you going to draw with and, and everything. You start talking worship and you touch on a subject that is very dear to the heart of the Son of God, who is the object of the worship. All of a sudden there's a very, very sharp rebuke here when he says, she says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Isn't that an interesting thing? Have you ever thought about that? Says our fathers worshipped in this mountain. This is a lost person. This is not a saved person. This is not a child of God. This, this is a person who does not know God. Let me tell you something, folks. In this city this morning, there are thousands of people who are worshipping they know not what. Their worship is self-inflating. They're not worshipping God because they don't know God. And this is the correction, the rebuke this woman says, Ye worship, ye know not what. Ouch. That must have hurt. What a scolding. But he's very gracious when he says, Now you need to understand. Woman, believe me, in verse 21. You shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. See, what he's saying is, look, it's not about location. It's, it's the heart. It's the spirit. If you're going to worship God, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Think of it as a threefold thing. We're talking about spirit and truth. Firstly, worship that is scriptural, that is biblical. Much of the worship that's gone on in churches today and in the world today is not Bible-based. It's flawed. It's fleshly. It's all done for the amusement and the, you know, the in indulgence of people. People are going to big churches today where the music's very, very loud and the smoke and mirrors and people are bouncing around in their leotards with holes in inappropriate places and they're all having a wonderful time and, you know, the young people are all jiving away like, you know, kids on the monkey bars at the local playground. Everyone's having a great old time. Where's God? Well, you get some mention in the song here and there, vaguely. And salvation is it. It made me happy. It made me glad. And Jesus is he. And by the time they're finished, there may be another Jesus, just like you find in a Mexican phone book. Well, Jesus is that. And that's what that and, and we go away invigorated and excited because, you know, we just had a good time. 
The problem is for the crowd on the stage, that's who we are being adored by, the people. The adoration is meant to be of God. Not the performers, not the musicians, not the preacher, but God. And the preacher who doesn't point you to the true and the living God is an idolater. He's stealing glory. He's worse than Santa Claus. You remember? The glory stealer. Oh, glory stealer. There he is. Ho, ho, ho. Hiss, hiss, hiss. More like it. Where were we? God is a spirit. You know, after all this, I'm encouraged this woman, regardless of the rebukes. I mean, let's put it down, folks. She is getting an absolute caning. Every argument is like pelting hell with a snowball. It's like, you know, this is just not happening. He's not biting. He's not fighting. He's graciously answering and responding in a way that just keeps turning the conversation away from the problem to the solution. It's not about your race. You know, what you need is living water. You know this water. This water will never satisfy. You drink of this water, you're going to thirst. You drink of the water that I will give you and you'll never thirst again. Give me this water. Give me, give me, give me. Sure, I'll give it to you, but first go get your husband. Oh. How do you know that? How can you... And then he went and rattled them all off. This woman's been stripped of any claims of knowledge. But she has one last claim. And this time she got it right. Partially right on some. Definitely right on this. She says, I know. In verse 25, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Can you get a clearer statement in the Bible about who is Jesus Christ? Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one, the sent one, the son of God. I am God the son, come in the flesh for the sins of the whole world. And he says, I that speak unto thee, I am he. And so we come to our scripture today. The disciples came and marveled. Oh, what's going on here? Mm-mm. They've missed all the fun. They've missed a lesson in soul winning. Here they are. They're very happy to be on the front line when it comes to baptizing Jewish people. But here when it comes to one Samaritan woman, silence. A cold, steely silence. It's interesting. We go back there for a moment. Verse 8 says, For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Now, I'm a simple soul. To me, it would appear that this woman's coming down to the well, or they're going up to the well, up to the city. Sorry. She's coming down, they're going up. Is it possible they passed by? Is it possible that as they passed by, each one of them simply looked away to admire the scenery? Or maybe look down at the ground just in case they tripped and fell. Maybe noticing, oh, my my sandal is unbuckled. Or maybe they looked up at the sky. But nobody said a word. Nobody said, you see that man down there by the well? That's the Christ. That's the saviour of the world. That's the Messiah. Perhaps that's the very reason when Jesus opened his mouth, she let fly. The Jews, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever there is of them, have no dealings. Not a man spoke to me. But Jesus spoke to her. 
And the disciples arrive and they're like, yo, come on, master, let's eat. I mean, that's the whole idea, isn't it? We like to eat, right? I notice your church bulletin, you've got a few festivities coming up. Bring a plate, bring a plate, bring bring something, a plate with something on it, preferably. <coughs> Maybe that's why some say a plate of food, not a plate of bird seed. Okay? Although some of us could do with a bit of bird seed, help us shed a pound. But here they said, come on, let's eat. Jesus says to them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. I have meat to eat, you know, and I love this. What? Has anyone bought him more? And they do a little emu parade looking for four and twenty wrappers or a kebab wrap or, you know, is there an empty pizza box somewhere? Someone bring him something to eat. He says, no, my meat. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. And the sad thing is here. Jesus then says to them, Say not ye that yet four months then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Can you picture that? Jesus says, Look on the fields, and he's looking at the city. He says, Look on the fields, are they are white already to harvest? And they look out across the paddock and say, Huh? Could be two or three months yet. Nothing growing out there? What about there? No? What's he talking about? Souls. Precious lost souls that need to know the Saviour. But what's wrong with this chapter? It starts out with these men serving, witnessing, glorifying God in their obedient service to God. Maybe that's the way some people like to serve. I will serve if I am seen. I will serve if it is prominent. I will serve if it's something prestigious I can do. Here's a woman who led, literally led, the greatest revival during the time of Christ's life. A whole city, literally. Many of the Samaritans believed on him for the saying of the woman, he told me all things that ever I did. And then they besought him to tarry with them. And he stays there two more days and then multitudes more are converted and believe because of his own word. But it started with one woman. Question. Why didn't God use the disciples? Isn't that what they're here for? To serve? Isn't what they, their, their calling is to witness? is to share Christ. I mean, later on in the Gospels, we read of testimonies where they're sent out by two and they're given authority and power to cast out demons, raise the dead, whatever you need to do, go and do it to glorify God. Do it. That'd be impressive. Hmm? Wouldn't it? Man, every man and his dog in that town would be talking about when, when Andrew and, and Thaddeus, when they came to town, I, um, things were different. You know, when Thomas and Andrew were here, wow, man, they, they set this place afire. They're preaching, they're teaching the signs they did, the, the miracles they did, just like we heard of the, the master from Galilee. He made the lame to walk and the blind to see and the, the dumb to speak and the deaf to hear and, and he did all these things and they did that. And they did it in his name. Maybe you go back to that town, you find they've got little special little monuments set up for Andrew to remember Andrew, remember Thomas, remember the young man, exalting men. But here, 
Just some grubby Samaritan outcast. Can't even get a look in their own town. <laughs> I'm not talking to her. What's the problem? I think maybe the first problem is, and this may be an evidence that they're Baptists, is they're preoccupied. To them, the most important thing that was happening that day was lunch. <laughs> we don't really want to go to Samaria because you know, it's off limits, but well, now that we're here, we might as well go and get something to eat. So let's all go up to the city and off they went. But to actually talk to somebody, to actually point somebody to Christ, I ain't got time for that. To do something really noteworthy like baptise people down by the river, well, that's different. Preoccupied. What about prejudice? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You know, some people, they won't go to certain people. Remember the problems Peter had when God sent him to Cornelius and the Italian band? See, they had rock and roll in the Bible. They had a band in the book of Acts. even says and they're a band of Italians making beautiful music. Probably an opera band, really. But anyway, I mean, Peter gets it in the neck because he's gone to these dirty old Gentiles. And he didn't want to do it. I mean, he, he's really struggling with this until God has to reveal to him, hey, listen, that which I have cleansed, that call not common. Remember the difficulty Paul finds himself in a Roman prison is because he was accused of defiling the holy place with the presence of Gentiles. A prejudice still runs, rings around a lot of people today. I won't talk to a person because of the colour of their skin or the accent they speak with or the car that they drive or where they work or their pay grade, or their education. We can talk about the race element. We can talk about the place element. Don't worry about the people that are higher up the food chain, folks. The upper crust are just a bunch of crumbs that are all sticking together, but we're all in the same boat. We're all lost, guilty, hell-deserving sinners who must be thrown upon the mercies of God in faith, believing on Christ. Without Christ, we have no hope. It doesn't matter if you're the poorest man in town or the richest woman in the world. You still must be born again. You still need to know Christ as your own personal saviour. But many times, we don't openly share the gospel because of who they are or where they're at or where they're from. Prejudice. Preoccupation. Which brings us to our leading question for the day. God obviously didn't use them, but he used a woman, a Samaritan woman, to win a city. And all she did was tell people who Jesus was and what he had told her. Now, you don't have to have a degree from a university to do that. In fact, people with lots of university degrees can sometimes be a problem. I've found some people's intellect gets in the way of their heart believing. I remember a friend of mine, Brother, Brother McClure, when we were up in the drug capital of Nimbin, we had a very well-known man came and visited the service there one evening, Sunday evening, in the Nimbin Town Hall. Seemed like everybody that ever tried to witness to this man, he would just brush them aside with his knowledge and his rhetoric and, and always answering questions with questions. And I tried to engage in a conversation with this man and he was being very, uh, you know, no thank you. Appreciate you speaking tonight, preacher. Uh, you were almost eloquent. I said, you mean elephant? And he sort of went, what? Then Brother AJ came over and said to this man, he said, I've been listening to you talk to some of our people. He said, I realise you may be the saddest man I've ever met. 
man looked at him and said, why so? He said, you could never go to heaven. You, sir, can never go to heaven. And he started to turn and walk away. And this man said, what? Wait. He said, why can't I go to heaven? He said, you're too smart. You'd make God look bad. You think you've got all the wisdom in the world. Sir, until you know Christ, you know nothing. And then he quoted certain scriptures concerning knowledge. That knowledge puffeth up. And let him that thinketh he knoweth anything knoweth nothing as he ought to know. That night that man trusted Christ as his saviour, but he needed somebody to strip away his education and his eloquence to show him that what he needed was Christ. Now, my question for you and I this morning is, can God use us? If we know Jesus Christ as our saviour, we're surrounded by women at the well. We're surrounded by Samaritans. We're surrounded by ungodly, unsaved, unwashed, unclean, and in many cases, people who are unholy. And up to this point in time, unhelped. And in knowing Jesus Christ as a Saviour, we possess the key of eternal life. To share the gospel with the people in this community, to share the gospel with the people in the neighbourhood where you and I live, to make known the glories of the Son of God. Can God use us? Can you honestly answer that question this morning and say, Lord, you can use me. I will not be preoccupied. Oh, you, you may be a teacher or a plumber or a banker or, or a clerk or something. Your occupation is an ambassador for Christ. Everything else is just making up time. This is our calling. This is our ministry. This is what God has given us to do. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are sent of God. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ said, be ye reconciled unto God. We are the witnesses. We are the salt. We are the light. We are the sun. Are we? Are we too busy making a living that we don't have time to live for Christ? Don't have time to Serve Christ, speak of Christ, share Christ. Oh, we're happy to come to church and, and sing his praise and, and rejoice in the salvation we have in Christ. But we're not saved just to sing. We're saved to serve. The last commandment of the, of the Saviour is, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's you, that's me, that's us. A living church with a living saviour that has a life-changing, life-giving message for which multitudes of the body of the church, the members of the church, are deathly silent. Can God use me? The Lord said the fields were ripe, and they are. Has there been a more despairing generation than the generation we live in now? Oh, we're well educated. But we live in a generation today that is facing challenges that, as a nation, we've never seen before. We've come out of a two-year pandemic from which multitudes, in their, by way of their emotions, I could say mental health, but emotions, I think, chiefly, has left people very, very uncertain. Will this happen again? Multitudes of people by the end of January, some 700 to 800,000 honeymoon mortgages will be over in this country. People who are sitting on one and a half, two and a half percent on their mortgage are going to be paying over four and a half percent come the end of January, very likely. They're going to see their home repayments almost double. 
and it sits hard on the on the heart and the mind to think, we are all, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to have to rest in the Lord. I'm going to have to cast my care upon him because he said he cares for me. But the question is, do I care for him? Can I expect God to keep his promises concerning my well-being when I do not keep his promises concerning the well-being of the lost? When I am the chosen vessel, we are, if we know Christ, we are the chosen vessels of service for Christ to bring others to a saving knowledge of Christ. It's not up to the media. It's not up to Hollywood. It's not up to the radio program. Praise God, it doesn't rest on the shoulders of Squeal Mitchell or Tom Elliott. No, sir, it rests on the heart and the lips of the servants of God, the children of God, the saved, born-again children of God who have faith in Christ. Question, can God use me? God used a woman, a humble Samaritan, a feisty, prickly Samaritan, but he got her. In simple faith and a simple testimony, and she couldn't help but go tell the whole city, come see a man. I had the blessing just recently of visiting a friend of mine. been praying for some of my old football buddies and mates from school for over 40 years. Rarely ever hear from them. And then God invented a thing called faceache. And through faceache, yeah, I know, you, I'm saying to Facebook, yeah. I know some people that what I see on Facebook is not what I see in their life. But anyway, so on Facebook, I've been able to contact some of these people, some back in my old hometown. One of them recently came off his motorbike. And as a result of coming off his motorbike with a badly broken leg, he ended up in hospital down in my old hometown. And I got to go down and visit him. And through that visit, while I was there, another friend, another football buddy, an old pal from way back, he turned up to visit at the hospital exactly the same time I got there. I walked in the door, sat down, we're chatting in, walks this other guy. And then almost like as if the, a choir, they said, how did you ever become a priest? We are dying to know. How did you? Hustler, what happened? Hus, what, what did you do? You, we, we, how did you ever become a priest? I said, God, I'm not a priest. I said, you're not. It's amazing what 40-something years can do to some people. Must have started out a real long, stretched out truth. So I simply told him, I'm a preacher. I became a Christian. I trusted Jesus Christ my Saviour. And I got to share some of my testimony about how I came under the sound of the preaching of the gospel and God spoke to my heart. And I knew there was a need in my life. I knew that I was not, I was not happy. I, I, I had a lot of things the world say would bring happiness, but I was miserable. Miserable, miserable as rat's guts inside. I was just, I was just absolutely, you know, just overwhelmed. The, the sadness at times was overwhelming. And then through a friend, I got to sit under the sound and the first time I heard the gospel preached, I was challenged to trust Jesus Christ as my saviour and I did. I said, and what I'm doing today is simply telling people what Jesus Christ did for me. I preach the Bible. I, I share the gospel. And God's given me the blessing of being able to travel all around Australia and even around the world, preaching the gospel of Christ. And the same message that saved me can save you guys. But they've heard. And to me, that was one of the most exciting things that's happened to me in my spiritual life, to actually be there to share with somebody that I really care about. Now, can God use us? When I realise I'm saved because God used someone to simply tell me. And that's what soul winning is, isn't it? One beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread of life. Can God use us? Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your precious Son, Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, the precious Son of God who was delivered for our offences and raised again for our justification. And your word declares that therefore being justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the salvation that is freely available to all that will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Thank you for the finished work and the empty tomb. Thank you for the power of the word. Here in this passage of John chapter 4, Jesus did no miracle. He didn't make the water to rise. He didn't make the buckets or the water pots fly through the air. He didn't blot out the sun. He simply shared the truth of who he is with the greatest need this woman have, your salvation. And we're so thankful for the power of the word of God to still to this very day, this very hour, touch hearts, save souls and change lives. Lord, be pleased to use us as vessels of honour. We who have already been able to drink so freely from the fountains of living water, we have been satisfied by the grace and the mercy of God through faith in Christ. Lord, be pleased to use us this day, this week, as we come up to the time of the year of Christmas, one of the times of the year where the name of Jesus Christ can be freely used without scorn and rebuke so often rejected throughout the year. But Lord, the opportunities are going to be boundless yet again for us to share Christ and the real reason for the season. Well, Lord, thank you for your precious Son. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Spirit. Thank you for your grace toward us. Lord, I pray there's even one here today, for that one today who is here that does not know Christ as Saviour, that, Lord, you would speak to their heart even in these few quiet moments, that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who became sin for them, that we might become righteous in him. Lord, I pray you'd speak to that heart this morning and save that precious soul as only you can. And Lord, I pray you'd encourage and challenge your own people to make ourselves vessels of honour and truly fulfil the commission of being ambassadors for Christ. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Oren.